This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest is Father Carlos Martins. Father Carlos is a priest with the Companions of the Cross, a religious community with a charism and a mission of evangelization. He's a convert from atheism. He discovered Jesus Christ and the Christian faith while he was an undergrad, and he travels internationally as an itinerant preacher. He founded the podcast The Exorcist Files because he is an exorcist. Welcome, Father Carlos. Hi. Good to be with you. Honestly, I'm a little bit freaked out talking to you today because this whole topic of demons scares me. I fear being attacked by demons. I fear possession. So what do you say to someone like me that fears these things? Well, the devil and possession, these things are unpleasant realities. So we should fear them. God has equipped us to fear them. At the same time, there's such a thing as the healthy fear, and there's such a thing as excessive fear. So the Lord has not left us unprotected. He has left us his church, himself, and the sacraments. He has left us a way of life by which we can be grafted onto him. And if we walk with the Lord, we receive his protection. And so those who are connected with the Lord and who are obeying him, obeying his commandments, and living the life that he has laid out for us, we have nothing to fear. Does demonic possession come to just anyone out of the blue, or, or is it something that you kind of invite a demon into your life through a certain lifestyle or through actions that you take? A demon has to be invited by someone in authority, by someone in authority. So what does that mean? So starting with the invite, it's an agreement made. But most people, they have a false notion of what that entails. No one in his or her right mind is going to knock on the door of the devil and say, okay, you know, I'd like to form a covenant with you, and so I want to give myself over to you for demonic possession. This is crazy, foolish. No one does that. We obtain demons. Demons latch on to us by us establishing a covenant with them through a moral transgression, through sin. And the reason why that is the case is when you were conceived inside the womb of your mother, same as me, when at the moment we were created, the penalty for original sin found us. We were born into that penalty. So at the moment that God created us, we were subject to the penalty of our first father, Adam. And what that means concretely is we belong to the devil. And this is why we baptize. We baptize in order to remove that demonic jurisdiction from us. And this is, among other reasons, why we shouldn't delay baptism to infants. I mean, we shouldn't wait until, you know, six months until Aunt Sally can come from Florida and, and to come from Tampa and be part of it. We need to give this healing to infants immediately. That removal of his jurisdiction and us belonging to the kingdom of God remains until we commit our first mortal sin, a first grave transgression of the Lord's commandment. And then we go back to our original owner, who is the devil, until we can reconcile with the Lord in the sacrament of confession. So the devil has the right to possess through the committing of one single mortal sin. The question then, of course, is then why does he not? Well, because God prevents him. And if God didn't prevent him, the whole world would be possessed. But even if not possessed, 
the world is certainly under his jurisdiction in the sense that he is referred to even by our Lord as the prince of the world, the prince of this world. And so the devil has a real jurisdiction over those who are in sin. And so sin is the currency. It's the doorway by which one comes into a demonic influence. Now, that being said, demonic possession, although it's a real thing and it's a terribly ugly thing, and a lot of your listeners would have seen the movie The Exorcist, which this year is the 50th year that it has been released. And people ask me, ask exorcists all the time, what happens in the movie The Exorcist? What is depicted? Is it authentic? Is it true? And with the exception of one single thing, everything in that movie is real, it's authentic. And there are things that I have seen directly myself. The one thing that is not is the 360-degree head turn by the actress Linda Blair. Such a head turn would defy the laws of nature in the sense that the human body could not sustain a movement of that sort without death. And the Lord doesn't permit the devil to kill us. He will permit him to harass us but he draws a line at killing us and bringing us to our own mortality. Are there physical manifestations like levitating? And I've even heard stories of people's eyes looking more like cat eyes. Have you seen things like that? Sure. Like all of that is child's play for the devil. It's no problem at all for him to do that. And when there's a physical change in the person, such that cat-like eyes or a wolf-like face, or the person falls down onto the floor and begins slithering like a snake, and it appears as if there's so much fluidity in their body, it appears that the skeletal structure is gone, that they really are slithering in a movement akin to a snake. What's happening there is the devil is perfectly capable of bending light. So what there is is an illusion. And so even that 360-degree head turn I talked about, it can appear that that happened. Although what really is happening is an illusion. The devil is creating a mirage through the bending of light that you perceive as real, but it's not authentically happening. That being said, it is true, it is authentic, that the devil can usurp certain laws of nature, for example, causing someone to levitate, to walk up the wall backwards, to crawl along the ceiling as if gravity was in reverse, and now they are stuck to the ceiling as we would normally be stuck to the ground. So all of these things are simply parlor tricks because they're immediate to our senses and they're so off the wall, they're so unusual, they frighten. These are the kinds of things that people ask about all the time. But any exorcist will tell you this is the least of the scary stuff that the devil causes. These are simply parlor tricks. These are him kind of flexing a muscle in order to impress, in order to get us to be frightened by his power. But his power is much more deadly in terms of joining his rebellion against God, joining in his rebellion by sinning. Because although the scariest reality is demonic possession, the most deadly reality is sin. And so of all the diabolical activity that the devil does, temptation is by far the most deadly. Because by acquiescing to a temptation and sinning, then we can lose our eternity. By being possessed in and of itself, that has no power to bring anyone to hell. So although it's the scarier reality of the two, it is not as deadly. 
one can become possessed, and I mentioned earlier in the call, one becomes possessor, one forms a covenant with the devil by someone in authority making that happen. So the individual himself or herself doesn't necessarily have to be the covenant maker. So mom or dad could be. Just as mom and dad bring a child into the church and they speak on behalf of the child and have the child baptized, so it is not the child choosing Christ and his salvation, it's the parents choosing Christ on the child's behalf. But the child receives the benefit. The parents, if, God forbid, they're of that mind, they can make a covenant to evil, and the child is ratified by it. I've seen this many times where a child has become possessed, and often I only meet that person once he or she has reached adulthood, that that covenant has to be undone. And those kinds of covenants are much more difficult to undo because the covenant is so old, the devil has been there so long, and he has mixed himself with the identity of the individual in the sense that the individual's personality is, in a sense, not 100% defined, because there's been two kind of souls living in one body. And so the extraction of one leaves the person of necessity having to develop his or her character, and even who he or she is to himself or herself, to that extent, that is somewhat unknown. We're talking with Father Carlos Martins from the Companions of the Cross and an exorcist himself. Father, can you discuss Ouija boards and even the practice of yoga? Are these activities something that would invite demons into your life? Yeah, absolutely. So any involvement in the occult, which is what is happening when we play with a Ouija board, with a Ouija board or with fortune telling, with consulting a medium, what we're doing is violating the natural laws that God has placed to limit our own power. So... To consult a fortune teller, you're trying to obtain knowledge of the future. To consult a sorcerer, you're trying to expand your power by exercising some influence in a way that God has never intended. In consulting a Ouija board, you're trying to make contact with the spiritual realm and get answers to questions, and those answers you have no right to. So you are mimicking the original rebellion of Satan and the fallen angels by saying to God, I will not obey. So it is a direct violation of the first commandment and the dabbling in the occult, the, the usurping of those laws that God has put in place is the most common way by which people get the by far. The second most common is through sexual transgression because our sexual capacity is the way by which we most resemble God husband and wife come together and their love is so strong that nine months later they have to give that love a name. And so that beauty that God has implanted in the human creature to bring that creature together with another and to form a family, the devil is going to be all over that to try to mar it. With respect to yoga, a yoga was created as a religious expression. And it was created as a religious expression according to the cosmology of Hinduism. So inherent within yoga is a notion of the kundalini spirit. There's a serpent spirit that lives in the spine, and the act of yoga is a way to connect with that spirit. So one 
can't engage in the gestures and the activity of yoga without invoking that. And, you know, one can do so for 30, 40 years and nothing comes of it. But you know what? Somebody can do it the first time and all of a sudden a demonic spirit has received an invitation. Well, look, if you're invoking me, well, here I am. And there isn't a rhyme or reason of why person A receives a demonic visitation, if you will, from doing a yoga act, and why the next person does not. But this is the fact. So if somebody is doing yoga for the purpose of exercise, drop yoga and just do exercise. If you're trying to stretch, then stretch. But the gestures that are inherent within yoga, the bodily postures are by definition acts of worship of Hindu deities. You have a podcast where you go into depth about possessions without actually airing actual recordings. What kind of reactions have you gotten from your podcast? Well, gosh, I knew that it would not be unpopular. I knew that it would get a certain following, but I never imagined it would be as successful as it is. We've released 15 episodes and have surpassed 2 million downloads. The show is called The Exorcist Files, and it's available wherever people get their podcasts, so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If your listeners don't know how to access it, they can do so through the website, which is exorcistfiles.tv. And so what I wanted to do is give people a catechesis whereby they can arm themselves against the devil, because... The devil as a topic is very rarely preached in churches any longer, and even many clergy no longer believe in the devil. But a lot of information that is out there, that is on the internet, that is regularly disseminated on social media, is wrong and unhelpful. So I wanted to give people something truly Catholic, a catechesis that would be formative, but also I wanted to do it in a certain way. I became aware of some alarming findings from surveys done by two groups, the Pew Research people and another group called Public Policy Polling. And what they found is that, well, they divided the population into segments. So in the segment of 18 to 29-year-olds, they found that within a five-year period, the number of that segment that abandoned religion altogether and became irreligious increased by one-third, which is absolutely staggering. At the same time, they found that in the same segment, 63% of them stated that it is possible to become demonically possessed. So in this demographic of 18 to 29-year-olds, young adults, who are increasingly abandoning religion, something is occurring in their lives that is making them conclude the devil is real. And so I thought, gosh, someone has to speak to that, because they're obviously encountering the supernatural in their lives, coming to them as the preternatural force of the devil. And so they don't have the compass that religion gives them. So I wanted to create a podcast that wouldn't simply be my lecturing on the devil or my conducting something that appears to be like, say, a prayer group in a church, because those folks, if they even stumble upon it, they will listen to it in the first 20 seconds. They'll say, you know what, this is a religious thing. This is not for me. So what I wanted to do with the podcast is provide reenactments in 3D binaural sound of actual possession cases that I have 
that I've dealt with in the past and then provide commentary in the midst of the happenings of the case to give people an understanding and a flavor of what the devil is trying to do and by that, by extension, what God is doing to combat him. So I never imagined it would have received the kind of popularity that it has received. And I'm receiving emails regularly from people all over the world, from Germany, from Australia, from Finland, from Norway, stating that they've heard the podcast and that it strengthened their faith. Mm. I wonder how many people that listen to your podcast and then end up back in the pews. And that's part of these testimonies. Many have said that because of your podcast, I have decided to go back to confession. And the experience was so uplifting for me Mm. that I have started to go to Mass again. I've had people state that they weren't religious at all, weren't born into any religious expression within their families, that they had never really attended church. But because of that, have gone to church and have gone to Mass and have enrolled in their parishes, their local parishes, RCA program to enter the faith. And so, heavens, that's exactly what we want. We want people to find Christ, even if we're using the devil to do so. So in this case, you know, if I were to have given a podcast where I'm just focusing on Christ himself, or say on a saint, very few people would listen to it. This is the reality of where we're at. But now, in focusing on the devil and using the devil to be the evangelizer, the the devil through his activity to being the reason why people turn to Christ, we're unfortunately at that point in society where that is more interesting to a lot of people. But you know what? So be it. If we can use the devil to bring people to God, then let's do so. You're casting light onto the devil. Right. Which he hates, I'm sure. Oh, sure. You were the exorcist for the movie Nefarious, and can you tell us about any weird things that might have happened on the set? I just need to correct. I was not the exorcist for the movie Nefarious. Oh, you weren't? No. Okay. Uh, So they didn't have an exorcist per se. They had a theological consultant who was a priest, and, and that wasn't me either. I became aware of the movie once it was past post-production. So once it was already assembled, I was contacted by the writers who were also the directors of the movie, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Kalsman, and I was asked if I would be willing to view the movie and to provide my own comment as an exorcist as to what I perceive in the movie in terms of its authenticity. In terms of a possession movie, it is absolutely the best one that has ever been produced. The ticks, rather than getting hung up on the demonic power, like, say, the movie The Exorcist does, and really every other movie about diabolical possession, they get caught up in the signs and the activity that the devil does in, in terms of the, the scary stuff, the crawling up the wall and levitation and so forth, and the spinning, the belligerent. This one reveals the demonic rage, the internal rebellion that the devil and his minions are constantly living in their contradiction of God. And so I just thought that that was so phenomenally well done that I gave the movie a positive review and I published it, and that review went viral. So much so then that Kongsman and Solomon invited me to be their guests at the red carpet premiere of the movie. So that occurred in Dallas, Texas. I went there and, and they had rented an entire hotel for the premiere where the actors stayed and so forth. And they turned one of the large rooms in the hotel, one of the suites, into a studio where they would record interviews. 
And so they invited me. They asked me if I would be so kind to record an interview for posterity the day before the premiere. So I did so. And my time in the room with them lasted just a little bit over an hour. And then afterwards, I went out for a walk. And I realized a couple hours into that walk that I had not turned my phone back on. And when I did so, there was a plethora of text messages from the team in the interview room. So the first one was, Father, we apologize. Something happened with our recording equipment. Half of our interview with you didn't record. It didn't save onto the hard drives. The other half, the files are corrupted and we can't open them. A couple of minutes later, there was another text message. Father, our equipment now is not responding at all. It's not turning on. It's not turning the equipment that is on. It's not turning off. Not sure what's happening. And then it keeps going. Now the lights are starting to flash in the room, and we're hearing growls coming from the corner in the room where the furniture is. Yeah, at this point, were they asking you to get back there? They asked me to get back there. They asked, you know, can you come here and do prayers? And so I took a taxi back to the hotel, and I went into my room, and I I grabbed my kit, which is kind of always with me, my book of prayers. I made holy water, and then I went into the room, and I did an exorcism of plates, an exorcism using the church's prayers to get rid of the devil from a locale. And as I was doing that, I was a couple of sentences into the prayers. The prayers take about seven minutes to go through. I could hear a kind of demonic chanting. I could hear a voice. It sounded like somebody was speaking just 12 inches away from my ear, but behind me. Well, I was standing with my back to the window of the suite, and we were on the fifth floor. We are on the top floor of this hotel, so there was nothing behind me but a five-story drop. So it's not possible that someone could have been behind me. But anyway, this is what I heard. And that continued until very close to the end, where there's a line in the ritual which in Latin says, and of course you're directing the devil. This is a, a point in the prayer where the devil is being addressed by the priest directly. The command is, bow down to the holy and terrible name of Jesus. And then it was as if you just pulled the plug. The light stopped flashing. There were no more noises. The chanting stopped. All the equipment functioned as normal. There was no problem with anyone. And so as I spoke with the writers and the producers, the directors, and so forth, they disclosed that every day of the recording of this movie, and even in post-production in the studios, there were diabolical phenomena, where their equipment would just short out, burnt out, where the weather would become uncanny in the filming of those parts of the movie, where the devil is talking about himself and the demonic kingdom, where all of a sudden the wind would pick up outside, They had turned an enormous basketball stadium into their movie studio within Oklahoma. And every time they would record the devil talking about himself, the wind would blow so hard it would shake the building and the footage would be unusable because you could hear all the sounds in the recording. So they would say cut. As soon as they said the word cut, the air went to a dead stillness. So there was such a regularity of diabolical phenomena that, you know, I said to them, look, this is really good, because if the devil is telling you that what you're doing is bothering him so much that he is taking these kinds of steps against you and letting you know that what you're doing is really ticking me off, then what you've done is really good. So keep doing it. And so I commend them for the diligence 
and the determination that they had to finish this project, which turned out to be phenomenally well. If you have not seen the movie Nefarious, I could not recommend it highly enough. It's not a horror movie by any means. There are no four-letter words in it. There are no sex scenes in it. It's just basically a dramatic depiction of really good theology. It's like screw tape letters, some have described it, put the film. If someone is dealing with a possession, either in themselves or in a loved one, what should they do? First and foremost, they need to pray for the individual. They need to pray. Secondly, they need to try to get the individual to get help. There's people that come to us, exorcists all the time, people that come to me and say, look, my son, he has the devil afflicting him. He hates God. He hates the church. He seems to even know when I'm praying, if I'm doing so silently, and he reacts viscerally. In other words, there are signs that there's no question that the devil is present. But there's nothing that I can do unless the individual himself or herself wants to be free. You have the right, if you want to, to belong to the devil. And there's nothing that anyone else can do. So daily, those kinds of emails and requests come into my office saying, please come and do something. Well, heavens, what could I do? Kidnap the person and torture the person to force them to pick God? I mean, it's just impossible. So the individual himself, herself, needs to decide to leave one kingdom and join another and to do the necessary work that that entails. Exorcism for the victim is an activity, not a passivity. It's not something the church does to you. It's something the church aids you in doing to yourself. The exorcist has no power to cast out the devil. What the exorcist has is the ability to guide the victim into leaving one kingdom and entering another. That's what exorcism is. It's not Catholic magic, whereby we simply come in and overpower the ancient serpent and get him to leave simply because we have the right magical prayers. The job of the exorcist is not to cast out the devil. The job of the exorcist is to find out why is the devil there? What rights has he obtained? And then it's his job to aid the victim in rescinding those rights. Once those rights are rescinded, then the devil must leave. That's my job. How long does that process take? Is it a five-minute process in some cases, but a several-day thing in other cases? Exorcism per se, we're talking about possession, diabolical possession, full possession, where the devil is animating the body from the inside out. And so what you have is a usurping of the personality, the freedom, and the control of the individual himself over his own body and person. The average liberation, assuming the individual wants to be liberated and and wants to eradicate the devil out of his life, to state it differently, wants to now be part of God's kingdom and submit to those rules, and not everybody does. Assuming there's all green lights with regard to the foregoing, the average liberation of demonic diabolical possession lasts a year and a half. Really? And that's with an exorcism happening weekly. So, in other words, 75 exorcisms left there. And why is it not quicker? Because I think the Lord doesn't want it to be any quicker. If it were as easy as just popping a stick of chewing gum in your mouth, then people wouldn't change their lives. People wouldn't live morally. Well, if I pick up a devil, I'll just go to a priest and, you know, I'll I'll be back in time for supper. It would cheapen the sacrifice of Christ. And it's already cheapened enough by those who refuse to eliminate sin out of their lives. So it's not a quick,
and I think God plans that intentionally. Is there anything that you wanted to cover? Yeah, I think the devil is a very minor reality. He is dangerous, but he is a minor reality. People ask me all the time, they ask us exorcists, aren't you afraid of the devil? Are you ever afraid? And the answer is no. I'm afraid of offending God. I'm afraid of being distant from God. I'm afraid of usurping God's authority, power, and grace in my life and handing it over to something that would be counterfeit. That is something I'd be afraid of. But the devil himself, I'm not. And any exorcist that I know, his prayer life, his devotion to the Lord is something that's genuine, and it's a marvel to behold, and it has to be that way, because the Lord has to be front and center. At the heart of our lives, the heart of an exorcist's life is not the devil. There is God. Our lives are dedicated to God. So if people are walking with the Lord, if they're receiving the sacraments, going to confession regularly, never missing Mass, and eliminating sin out of their lives. It is impossible to be a child of God and have sin in your life, right? We become children of God through sinlessness, through the grace, the the passion of Jesus Christ. And we're not born as God's children. We become children by adoption, and it's a sacramental adoption. So unless we have that in our lives, we don't belong to God. Now, that is one hell of a scary reality. That's what people ought to be afraid of. Thank you so much for giving us the time. Certainly. Our guest today is Father Carlos Martins from the Companions of the Cross, also an exorcist, as you've learned. And this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash howwesee it.